thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. Okay, I have a question for you guys. What are you known for in your life? When someone thinks of you, what do they think about? Every one of us is known for something, whether you realize it or not. And I guess for a lot of us, we'd probably answer that with, well, what's the context? Did I grow up with them? Did I uh, march in the marching band with them or play a sport with them? Did I live down the street from them? Do I work with them? Do I pass them in the supermarket? What are we known for? If you ran into someone you knew from a certain time in your life, what would you instantly be afraid that they would remember you for? Whether it's a silly thing or maybe it's, maybe it's a hard thing. Maybe it's a serious thing. What would you be known for? We're all known for something. Even if you don't believe that's true, there's a good chance that somebody somewhere is reminded of you when they see a situation, they hear a song, or they think of a specific circumstance, you are what pops into their mind. You ever thought about that? Well, what if it's the first time they've met you or they've never, ever known you? For most of us, the single most important physical item we carry is our state ID card or our driver's license. Now, I say it's the single most important thing we carry, not our favorite, because 11 out of 10 driver's license photos are terrible. Are terrible. Here's mine. Yes, that's okay. You can groan. That's all right. Uh, so you see my official Ohio driver's license. I got my new official one so I could go to government facilities and fly on planes and do all those sorts of things. Now, if you're one of those rare souls who has an awesome driver's license photo, I salute you. Actually, I secretly resent you terribly in your photogenic awesomeness because, I mean, look at that photo right there. I mean, let's be honest. We're, we're family. We can be honest here. You just deduct 30 IQ points when you see that photo. I mean, that, that is a vacant, vacant stare. That is, restrictions A on my license probably doesn't mean I should be wearing glasses when I'm driving. Uh, it means there should never be a car under my control. I should not be left alone with power tools, extension cords, or even simple household appliances uh, based on that. I mean, come on. The lights are on, but nobody's home. I mean, I don't know about that, but I think about when I fly or when I rent a car or have to prove that, you know, the check I've written or the debit card, people still write checks sometimes, right? Okay, when you have that and they ask for your driver's license, I always think about that's what they're going to see. That's what they're going to see. Well, today in Romans 12, 9 through 21, we're going to build on the foundation that we've learned about earlier in this chapter regarding our calling as living sacrifices for God. And the fact that we know we belong to Jesus and we're not our own. That was always God's plan for us, that he would redeem us and he'd bring us back to him. He'd rescue us from sin and we would repay him by giving our lives completely back to him. In Romans 12, 3-8, we learn that we all have giftedness uniquely as people with different experiences. Some of them good and some of them are perhaps not so good. But God promises us all the way back in Romans 8, 28, even those painful things can be used as a beautiful part of God's plan of redemption for us and also for other people. God is working that. He's weaving all this into a tapestry, this plan to redeem and use us together, all of us as one people with different gifts, different stories, different pasts, and different futures to show the world 
who he is. So the question today is, what will we be known for in our relationships and in our choices and our priorities? That's what we're here to learn about today. We live differently and we are called to live, as we're going to see today, even sacrificially like Jesus so the world would know him. The question is, how do we do that? How do we do that so that we are known for that? I think most of us feel like I do in my driver's license photo, a little bit confused and a little bit of shell shock about how we are to live for Jesus, how we're supposed to tell other people about him. In today's passage, Paul zooms in on the details of the Christian life, and he gives us a snapshot, a real understanding of what genuine Christian love looks like. When we put it into action, what we are to be known for, the details even the depths of it. And it's a powerful and it's an encompassing. It's a real call to a new life, to new attitudes. And Paul pleads with us. He begs us today, along with the Roman church, to know about life of Christ and how it's requiring us to live differently. So as we look at this this morning, think about the instructions that are given to all of us as believers in Christ. Because this passage, it may seem like a random set of instructions at first. It may even seem a little strange but as we look at them, think about what they look like when combined into one cohesive picture of Christ's love. Like a Bob Ross painting, it might not look like much at first when it gets started. One of us doing one thing, another one of us over here doing something else. But when we see these actions and attitudes combined into one body, the church of Jesus Christ doing it together, a compelling picture will emerge where God pleads through us to the world around us, to show them there's a better way to live. So we're going to open up here, Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, that's proud, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, some scholars believe these teachings in Romans, 9, or Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, are some practical teaching, an early Christian primer for the church, and that's entirely possible. 
But Paul here is clearly building on the idea he's already given us of how we as Christians give our whole selves to God. And we use the uniqueness of who we are in symphony with the rest of the church, and we trust that God has us here for a reason. You see, you have gifts that other people in this place don't have. You have experiences other people in this place have never experienced, and we need all of them. We need all of you. That's why God has you here. You don't need to try to be more like so-and-so or less like you. We all need to be just who we are, seeking together to be more like Christ. Paul here is pleading with the church. He's asking the church to do just that. And to start with the essential element, the first thing he lists off here, the most crucial part of the Christian faith, and that is true selfless love. The kind of love that Christ shows us. That's the kind of love he's talking about. Genuine love. Let love be genuine. And here he gives us practical steps. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now in these first five verses in the passage, Paul lists 13 different favorable behaviors that Christians should seek to have in their lives. We want to have these. We want to exhibit them, compel them. And we want to use these behaviors that we would then plead with others to live for Jesus and to know Jesus through us. The number one point there, the foundational one, love. And this is not Hallmark movie kind of love. I know we're getting into Hallmark movie season, guys. Men will be out in the workshop a lot, I know. Um, This is not some iffy love based on what somebody else does for you. This is genuine love, and it flows from knowing and resting in God alone. Loving God first. Not loving your spouse first. Not loving your kids first. Loving God first. Loving Him more than anything else. Because nothing is ever to come between us and God. That's a consistent theme in all of Scripture. That we rely on God first. Because the love we need for other people starts and comes from God through the Holy Spirit. So we can do with this verse. The only way we have genuine love is if God... His love is flowing through us. To try and do this on our own would seem as realistic as a bad driver's license photo being a good one. You saw my picture. Is that a good photo? It's not. No, it's not a good photo. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not a photogenic guy anyhow, but that is not a good photo. But the realistic picture of us is that we're imperfect people relying on God's love, right? I mean, that's the real picture of us, isn't it? We're not altogether people. We're not. But the genuine love that God gives us is the key to unlocking this life that Christ... This is agape is the word here. You've heard that before probably from the Bible. This is that selfless brotherly and sisterly love that God's word describes. It's the highest form of love in the Bible. And we need God's power to love like God loves. We can't do it. We've got to be plugged into God's heart or it's not going to happen. In a world that's full of sin and anger and deception and temptation... This can feel almost impossible. It really can. Perhaps that's why it's so hard to be a Christian today, because we have to stay constantly plugged into God. Because if we don't, we don't see things the way God does. If we don't stay near God and near His Word, we're not going to love people the way He wants us to, because we're not going to see things the way God sees them. Genuine love requires two things underneath here. Abhor 
That means, like the idea, it's, it's Halloween time, right? I know it's Reformation Day. I, good Christians, don't email me. I know that. Trick or treat, Halloween, scary. How many of you guys ever go to a haunted house? Oh, come on, Presbyterians. You don't think I know you don't go to haunted, you go to haunted houses. Right, okay. Right. The idea of a haunted house is there is horror. You're scared, right? That's where we get the same word, abhor. Be in horror about what is evil. When you're near God, you see the world the way God sees it. When you're near God's word, when you're near God's spirit, when you're praying and seeking, saying, God, I want to see things the way you do, you know what's bad because God's word tells us. I was lamenting the other day, reading, I know a young man who's a great, great mind. One of the smartest guys I've ever met. And he's struggling in his faith and with his identity and with his life. And he had this huge rant online about it. And I read it and I, I lamented because in nowhere in his entire process was God's word included. God's word is the lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And without it, you're stumbling in the darkness. Me too. So many people say they love Christ, but they don't want to know his word. And they say, well, how can we ever know? It's in there. And if you're near God, you know what's evil and you abhor it. You say, I'm not desensitized to this. This is bad. So many Christians don't draw near God and we're desensitized to how messed up stuff is, right? And on the flip side, God's going to lead you into where he has you to hold on to what's good, even when it's difficult, even when it seems impossible. So many Christians either say what is bad is good, or rather than recognizing their own sinfulness and their own brokenness, they get drunk with beating up on other people who are sinners just like them. We always go to one side or to the other. But our call is to love God. And when we're near God, we know we're sinners and we know we can't get it right. And we know how messed up we are. And instead of us bashing other people, that compels us to love them. Instead of feeling like we know it all, that makes us want to know more of what God's saying. We want to know more of God because we go, man, I don't have any of this right. God's calling us to rest in Him. And when we do that, we have the sensitivity of the Spirit to guide us and empower us so we can both love what is His and everyone belongs to Him. We can love others. And yet we also then, when we're near him, have the power to distinguish good from evil. We know what's good. We must love God first. And when we love him, we see his love is for others and we want to love them. And then we are free to know what's good and what's bad. And we have the power by the Spirit to do the good. Everyone's made in God's image. Maybe this week you saw the video clip. I hope you did. Ellen DeGeneres had a clip on. Did you guys see? She got in big trouble. She sat at a football game next to former President George W. Bush. It was a Cowboys game, so it makes sense that George Bush is there, right? Being a Texas guy, he's there. And she was there, and everybody got very angry at her. Now, she was really upset because she was there rooting for the Packers, which is very dangerous at Cowboys Stadium, I'm sure. Um, did you, anybody, anybody see the clip where she talked about this? It's been all, it's great, it's great. Now, Ellen DeGeneres and I disagree on a vast array of, of issues, I'm sure. But I want to thank her, I want to congratulate her for saying, look, being kind to people means being kind to people, whether they're like you or not. 
Could we do with a little more kindness? That sounds so good. And she, she spoke eloquently of it. She's, she's a good comedian. I'm sure Ellen's the kind of person I'd love to have lunch with. I would pray, she seems like a fascinating person. She really does. Very intelligent lady, obviously, right? She and I disagree on a lot of things, but I appreciate she's made in God's image. Deep down inside, all of us, even in our brokenness, every one of us knows sometimes the spirit just, we like, I was not made to be this kind of person, Right? And she said, no, we should be kind to other people. We have lost the fundamental capacity as image bearers in Christ to show compassion to those unlike us. And that is dangerous for us as the church, for us as a nation, and for our world. Enough with the anger. Enough with the tweets. The bumper stickers that just chew people up. To abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good, I must hold to Christ because the only thing that's good is God. Not me. Not you. Only God. When I'm near Christ, I see others as He sees them. I don't want to live a way that He doesn't want me to live. And I don't want to hurt others in a way that He would not want me to hurt them. It's a daily commitment to place God first and place loving others above all else, including my selfish need to feel better at their expense. There's not enough room for condescension for others when we recognize our own brokenness. It's just, we can't do it. That closeness changes us. It changes us to hold fast to what is good and God alone is good. And when we have that goodness, we want more of it. And not just for us, we want to pass it out and give it to other people. We want to do that. We want to do that. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you, when you've done something good, again, we're a church family, have you ever said something so profound you know it wasn't you? Whenever you guys say, good sermon, I often think, oh, I don't know what I said. It wasn't me. It wasn't Google either, besides what you, I mean, I actually do write these things, I promise, but Think about, when I write those messages, God uses them. Sometimes what I think is the little tiny segue becomes the key thing that touches somebody's heart. God does that. When you say something to somebody in public and they come back to you later like, you remember when you said this? And you're thinking, sure, yeah, yeah, I do. And you you don't remember. But they did. Parents, I think this is all good parenting. All good parenting is when you remember something somebody else said that was really good that you said to your kids that they paid attention to and it turned out none of you came up with it. It probably just came from God and we've been passing it on forever. But that's good. The foundation for us of clinging to God and being filled up so that we can love and lift up others is essential. Now as we go on to verses 10 through 13 here, Paul, Paul pleads with us to go even deeper into this selfless, Christ-like calling, and to love other people, not just like to love them in some generic sense, but to love them like family. Phileo love, the word described here, this is this deep familial love, the kind of love that causes you to see everyone like family. I've seen a lot of churches miss this and say, well, that means the church is supposed to love. Well, yeah, the church is supposed to love. If we can't love each other, we got a problem. You all put up with me this long, right? 
This is not just a call for us to be family. It is, but it's for us to love others like family. How many of you know a family that just when you're in their home, you just feel like you're part of the family? Yeah. That's important because it's the kind of love that God's calling us to, that we welcome people to the table. We want to give to them and not take from them. This is like this idea. If you've ever read business books, guys like Ken Blanchard, if you're a business person, you'll relate to this. You have to say 10 positive things for one negative thing. I think it's probably closer to 25, to be honest with you, in today's world. But even in the practical sense, we do that for business, like to get ahead, right? But no, no, no. This isn't when you're nice to somebody because you can get something from them, because they have a hot tub or a boat or something like that. This is when you're nice to someone because you know that God wants you to love them and you just want to love them. You're not going to get anything out of the deal. And when Christians or when churches start to see folks, whether it's folks coming in the door or folks they meet down the street, as something they can get, then there is another thing. Something has gotten in between them and God. The church and God or the individual Christian and God, there's a wedge that's been driven there. And that's not okay. That's not okay. We are called to love other people. We are called to know them and to understand them. And families, we know each other's warts. We know each other's weaknesses and shortcomings. We know all this, but we still love and we still give and we still sacrifice for each other anyhow. That's part of being family, right? That's the kind of love that God is calling us to. Think about that one person in your family you're going to see. Thanksgiving is coming. Think about that person. You all got that, you all got that person, right? You've already been thinking. Some of you have strategic table setting, like you keep that person in a corner. And you have like a, a code phrase, like if they're going to get into something divisive, like they're going to start talking about impeachment or something or whatever, and you're like, no, 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 no. Have some carrot cake or whatever. I don't know. Right? Think about that person. You still love that person because they're family. And when families stand together, they're tougher and they care for each other more deeply than anything else. That's the life we're being called to as a church family here, but also to love and to welcome other people in to the world around us. Our deacons do a great job of this. Our deacons love people this way. They care for them. They provide for them. They take meals for them. Our staff does this. I appreciate them. Our elders. We need more folks to serve. I hope you'll consider being a deacon. Physical needs are a big deal, but that's how God shows his love. We care for each other. That's what we do here at our church. We care and we give of our time, of ourselves, and of our stuff. If, that's, if that is an afterthought to you, giving of your time, giving of yourself, giving of your money to the church, God wants you to know that's not how it works. We're family. That's not how it's supposed to work. We want to be open and loving and welcome others to share each other's burdens, physical burdens, spiritual burdens, emotional burdens. We pray for each other. We listen and we honor and we encourage one another. And look, we're supposed to have zeal. We're supposed to have a passion, fervent in spirit to serve the Lord. We rejoice together. We're patient when we're in tribulation, when it's hard. But we're to care for each other. And if you want to love somebody in your family or in your church, if, they, if you struggle with them, I'll tell you what, pray for them. You want God to change your heart? Pray for somebody. Be constant in prayer. See what it says there? 
And if we give and if we welcome, if we pray, if we suffer together, if we love together, if we hold each other up, it's going to be such a clear picture that Jesus is with us. We're going to stand out against a world that is so self-centered. Living as Christ commands looks the opposite of what other people say life requires. It really, really does. It is. It's a whole different way of doing it. Think about that. Do you love how other people love, or do you love the way God wants to? Because if you don't do it the other way, no one's going to see a difference. No one's going to see a difference. Because we need to live differently. The funny thing is, when you live this way, when people say, hey, don't, don't give that up, and you give it to God. When people say, hey, you earned that, you deserve it, and you give that up, I'm going to tell you the truth. You're going to be happier. You're going to be so much happier. You're going to be more satisfied, more fulfilled. You're going to have a greater capacity to endure difficulty because your rootedness is in God. You're right where he is. He's wrapped his arms around you. He's going to take care of you. I'm telling you guys, when the world says be angry, stop and pray. When the world says keep all of that, give it all away because God says give that away and follow me. I promise you. One of these things leads to limited bliss and eternal despair, but the other way of living where everyone is family, where Christ is in the center, leads us to limited troubles, but unlimited hope and unlimited perseverance with Christ and with the saints at our side. Paul is pleading with us to choose the latter. He is. But we're called even deeper. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it gets hard to live differently. This is what Paul is pleading with us so eloquently to do in this passage. Living sacrifices. Remember, we talked about that. We have our gifts. We have our opportunities. We even have our hurts unique to us. Paul has already called us to do something impossible unless God's power is flowing through us. But now the training wheels come off. Bless those who persecute you. This is not Dwight from the office kind of persecution. Most of us can't manage this at 5 o'clock when we're on Graham Road. We can't. How many of you have had to call someone and let them know you're going to be late because you turn off of Darrow Road and you stop right there? Have you ever done that? I grew up in a small town near the country. Traffic makes me violent. Like Mad Max violent. It does. Blessing those who persecute me, it's hard. But I have to remember Christ on the cross praying for those who put him there. Think about something you've endured that you'd rather forget. I know that's not something you like to do, but for a moment. Think about that, and yet Christ is telling us no sin, no wrong that you've ever experienced, no hurt that's ever happened to you is okay. I'm not here to say any of that's ever okay. But as a sinner... Our hatred must be for the sin. And we recognize that Christ calls us to love other people, even those that have hurt us, while in no way condoning the sin and the wrong and the hurt. No way excusing it or pretending it didn't happen. That's not what we're talking about. 
None of that can be done in our own power. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. Congratulations, not be jealous and resent them. And weep with those who weep. That can be hard. We recognize that as sinners, therefore, by the grace of God, go any of us to the same thing. And this is a process. We don't do this overnight. But God is honored when we love other people the way Christ loves them. And lives are changed. When you love someone sacrificially, they say, wait a minute, I hurt you. How, how could you ever forgive me? You don't think that's true? Perhaps you've seen the story this week of Amber Geiger, the former Dallas police officer who entered in the wrong apartment, thought it was hers and thought there was an intruder when it was the person that was supposed to be there and she shot and killed that person. You guys see the story? What's fascinating is now people are not remembering just the story. But what happened at the end of the trial... You see, there was a man named Brant Jean, who's the brother who was 18 of the man she shot. Here's what he said to her. I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. I love you just like anyone else, and I'm not going to hope you rot and die. I personally want the best for you. I wasn't going to say this in front of my family. This is what he said in court. I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what my brother Botham would want for you. Give your life to Christ. I think giving your life to Christ is the best thing Botham would want for you to do. This is his brother who she shot. He then left the stand with the judge's permission and he went down, as you can see in the picture, and he hugged her. Have you seen this? The judge, Tammy Kemp, also came down off the stand. And he, she later hugged the woman after the sentencing and gave her a Bible. Could you and I do that? That is the embodiment of this passage. Isn't it? What you need to know about living in a broken, sinful world, why we say it's so hard to live for Christ... Have you seen the outrage in the divisiveness for these people based on one of them being a police officer, based on them being different races, based on them being from different economic status, based on this, that, and the other? No one understands grace. No one understands Christ-like love. And when you do it, people have no category for it. And they run back to all this stuff that tears people down and hurts them. Because it's real sinful stuff, isn't it? Is greed real? Do people get ripped off? Is injustice real? Is racism real? It is. But this young man, he didn't do this for anything other than what he said because Christ loves him, loves his family, and he wants her to know Jesus. And the judge responded, and man, are people after her now. Living for Christ is costly. Think about that. We could talk about this and the rest of this passage for hours. Calls for us to live 
for the sake of others, even in the face of radical injustice, to love them, to serve them. The Roman church would soon face injustice under the emperor Nero, not when this passage was written, but soon after. Friends, today we must, in the power of the Holy Spirit, hold close to God and do that which is good. Can we and will we do so in the face of all that is evil, all that seeks to drive wedges between us as we live for what is right and true and good in the face of all that is wrong, that is madness, who will wonder how and why, who will mock us and even persecute us for loving people. If you don't believe me, ask Christians in China or in Syria if that's happening to them. You see, people see the effects of sin in society and all of its ills and all of its shortcomings, and they think it's something we can fix as if we're not all sinners ourselves. Friends, you and I stand in Christ as the sounding board. We stand as the mirror, as the beacon of light in the darkness. And when we love and we sacrifice for the sake of Christ, when we love our enemies, when we love our world, when we stand strong together in God's grace as a church family, when we obey this commandment from God's word to love one another as Christ has loved us, to be genuine, to treat others like family, even when they've hurt our family, to overcome evil with good. We're loving as Christ has called us to. That's what we're doing. You see, we're all going to be known for something. Every one of us. Eric Metaxas is one of my favorite authors. And he said the following in describing Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor known for dying in a concentration camp and for being a spy and working to help undermine the evil that the Nazis were doing. And don't take Nazi in a political term that people throw it around today. I'm talking about real Nazis. The National Socialist Party of Germany Nazis from World War II. Don't read anything else into that, please. I'm sick of people throwing that word around. Dietrich Bonhoeffer fought pure evil in World War II. And in reflecting on his life and all that he said and all that he did, Metaxas said this, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. You see, the funny thing is, if you look at this passage, when you seek God's heart, when you seek to be in God's will, when you love, serve, and sacrifice the way God's called you to, the other stuff takes care of itself. Your life and mine can plead with the world around us that there is a better way, a higher way. What will you be known for in your life? in your relationships, and in your choices. Yes, in everyday life, in the little things, but also in the hardships, in the injustices, and in the sufferings that we all endure. Will you plead for Christ as you love others? Will you and I have the courage to love and trust Christ enough that we live for Him, that we trust Him, so that we plead with others, even our enemies, so they too would come to know Him as Savior and Lord? Let's pray. God, for all of us, we know we can't do this on our own. God, we know that we can't in any way 
love and forgive. I know people here today are thinking about things that have happened to them, and God, I'm not trying to minimize any of those things. They're real things. But we know we're all sinners. We know we're all messed up. And God, two wrongs don't make a right. We know that, but we, we're so hurt. We're so confused sometimes. I pray for each one here that as we prepare to, gra- to enter this Advent season here in just a month, that we would take time to place you first, that we wouldn't let the busyness of everything get in the way, that we'd reach out to people we know that even haven't been here and love and encourage them. God, that we would love and care for others around us. That we would draw so close to you in our lives that we would pray every morning and say, God, use me. That we would get into some devotions. God, that we would grab some books. That we would put an app on our phone. Whatever it is. That every morning we'd make it a habit to draw into your word and see how you open that up in the world around us. That we would be so close to you. We would know what we're called to do. and We would know what's wrong. That we would live into you and that you would give us the power to be the good. To do it. To stand as that light in the darkness. To love others. To share in every way with the body of Christ. To treat others like family. God, to love extravagantly, sacrificially, even painfully, just as you did. God, make us more like Christ, even though it's hard, so that the world around us would know there is only one way. That's our prayer for our church and for our lives, and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.